0: On The Money provides general information which may not apply to your personal investment situation. Investing is subject to risk, including the possible loss of principal. You should consult with your financial professional prior to making any investment decisions. Investment products and services are offered through Stiefel Nicholas & Company, Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Neither Stiefel nor its financial professionals are legal or tax advisors. Bob Stockdale is Senior Vice President of Investments and Eric Robert is Director of Investments with the ClearPath Wealth Management. Management group at Stefel. If you need assistance with your investments or have questions about the show, contact us at 636-695-2650 or go to Clearpathinvesting.com.
1: Good morning. Welcome to On the Money. I'm Bob Stockdale, Senior Vice President Investments with Stiefle, member NYSE and SIPC. Great to have you along today. Glad you could join us. Got a great show lined up today. Myself and Mr. Eric Robert are in the studio. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a variety of things, as we always do. I'll give you a few samples here. will give you a few teasers here. Uh, why economic forecast has always been a flawed science. We're going to talk about that in the first segment. Also, I have a couple of IRA pieces that I want to get to. One of them has to do with a New Year IRA rollover tax trap. So you're going to want to uh, stay tuned for that. And then uh, some news about IRA required minimum distributions uh, the Treasury Department is proposing some changes, could be positive for you uh, folks out there who are taking RMDs. So we'll uh, we'll get to that one also. And then we, I want to talk a little bit about staking your claim. It's an article uh, from the Guardian, I believe, and it's uh, I'm sorry, HumbleDollar.com, and uh, and they talk about claiming Social Security benefits. We've talked a lot about this in the past. It's part. A social security analysis is part of every financial plan that we always do, uh, but I want to I want to cover this. They've got a unique angle and some great statistics on things here. So that's what's coming up. But first, we're going to hear from Eric Robert with a market update. Eric? Well, Bob, uh, stocks closed out a solid
0: November uh, yesterday. For the week, the Dow gained 0.6% and the S&P 500 advanced 1%. The tech-heavy Nasdaq jumped 1.7% for the week. Now, this was also the last trading day of the month. So let's take a quick look at where we stand for month end. November actually brought the biggest gains for stocks since back in June. The Dow notched 2.7% higher this month. Well, The S&P 500 jumped 3.4%, and the NASDAQ leapt a whopping 4.5%. You know, yesterday was also the official kickoff to the holiday shopping season, and we've been closely monitoring retail stocks uh, throughout uh, yesterday's trading day. According to Adobe... Shoppers opened their wallet to the tune of $7 billion yesterday alone. Now, looking at uh, economic data this week, we saw a couple interesting notes. Uh, The GDP revision came through, which, uh, Bob, I don't know if there's anything you would talk about there, but uh, that came in at 2.1%. That was a couple uh, uh, tenths of a percent higher than the original estimate of 1.9%. We also saw a great great number for uh, durable goods orders, which were positive 0.6% versus expectations of them being down 1.1%. Uh, you know, With all the struggles with manufacturers seeing a good reading on durable goods orders in November, uh, that was a very pleasant surprise. And then lastly, we also got an update on inflation uh, that remains relatively flat. Uh, next week, we'll get an update on manufacturers with the ISM Manufacturing Index on Monday. Also, lots of labor uh, data is on deck with jobless claims, non-farm payrolls, and, the unemployment update, uh, later in the week.
1: You know, Eric, uh, so you mentioned a solid, uh, solid month, solid year to date so far. What does it take to get a fabulous rating, uh, on your scale? Because year to date through the end of November, I show the Dow up a little over 20%, the S&P 500 up 25.3, the NASDAQ up 30.6. And the Russell two thousand up twenty point four five. Certainly, year to date. That's not quite good nothing,
0: enough, is it? There's nothing to there's nothing to be concerned there's about. There's no pleasing date. you, and well, especially if you put us where we were exactly one year ago. Wow. You know, the weekend after Thanksgiving in uh,
1: twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. things were not so fun. The, uh, the world, but, the world was ending. Yes, yeah, yeah. Now, I I wanted to comment. Just uh, saw some uh, comments from Sam Stovall, uh, C.F.R.A.'s chief investment strategist. And, uh, and he, uh, he said that uh, December historically is the best performing month of the year for the S&P 500. So we could certainly uh, be looking at higher highs here between now and the end of the year. You never know. Uh, he said it's known to hit a, a low mid-month and then finish uh, well. Uh, he said, "I think we end up with a loud noise at the upper end of a one to five percent decline." So his forecast. Uh, he says uh, there's no recession. I don't see why it would end up with anything worse than uh, than some type of pullback or or uh, give back a little bit in December. However, according to Bespoke, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, with the S and P 500 up 25 point well, it was up 25.8 percent year to date when this article was written. Uh, In years when it has gained 20% or more by Thanksgiving, it usually ends the year even higher, uh, but not significantly higher, adding about 1.8% on average. Uh, There have been 22 such instances, and uh, and the S&P 500 has gained uh, in those uh, instances 75% of the time uh, for the remainder of the year. So the odds are pretty good that we end up maybe even a little higher than we are. Well, you know, if you
0: haven't uh, reviewed your portfolio and considered a rebalance since, especially since the early summer period, whenever we were, you know, in July hitting all-time highs the first time around, now's a good time to check into that. Uh, because, it's, it, you know, do it now, do it while things are good, and then and then just make sure you're aligned for where you need to be, because nobody knows what's next, but hopefully there's another leg
1: higher. That'd be wonderful, uh, but we'll all find out together. You know, Eric, you, you know this as well as I do, that when Getting people to sell stocks and buy bonds when the market is doing incredibly well. Oh, it's so easy. It's (laughs) It's one of the toughest arguments we have to make. But really, it's part of of being prudent about risk, getting your portfolio back to where it should be as far as asset allocation. Uh, It's necessary. Now, you can argue about how often it's necessary. And a lot of people have different views on whether it should be done annually or quarterly uh, or somewhere in between but uh, but it is an important part of controlling risk in your portfolio making sure you have the right balance and making sure you're not uh, you're not hanging out there when That's the market right. pulls back Enjoy the wins while you have them right Make hay while the sun shines There you yeah. go right Yeah we've got all these platitudes I yeah. love it. <laughs> All right uh, let's take a break here when we come back we're going to talk about economic forecasting and why it's a flawed science this is On the Money, back in a minute. Welcome back. This is On the Money. I'm Bob Stockdale, Senior Vice President of Investments with Stiefel. Great to have you along today. Uh, we're going to talk about a variety of things, but first, I want to give you a little reminder bobstockdale.com is my website. And, uh, you know, the year's wrapping up. If you're retiring in 2020, uh, you really need to be talking with someone, particularly myself and the ClearPath Wealth Management Group at Stefel about what's, uh, what's going to happen. What are you going to do with your assets? How are you going to uh, manage your retirement? Uh, what are the things you need to understand about retiring? Social security, all that great stuff. And uh, we'd love to have a chance to talk with you. So sooner the better. Uh, get it done before the end of the year. Certainly think about doing it in January. Bobstockdale.com is the website. And uh, just send me an email and I will give you a call. All right. We're gonna. Uh, before we go to this article, I want to take a quick call from caller Jesse in Spanish Lake. Jesse, how are you?
2: Oh, real good. Hey, I have a big question, and I hope you can answer. I have a revocable trust, and a couple of friends of mine are telling me that I should have went to a irrevocable trust. That you don't pay taxes on it.
1: Uh, well, uh, I you know an irrevocable trust it is it, there there are strings attached with that. I mean that's a problem because when you know irrevocable means irrevocable, right? Right. So so once it goes in the trust, it, it's very difficult to get that money out. Uh, it, most people are going to be fine with with a traditional trust. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you, you're going to pay more taxes on an irrevocable trust than you would uh, with a traditional living trust. Uh, I mean, that'd be something you need to talk with your tax man about. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, unless there's a special circumstance where you want that money untouchable for various reasons, then, you know, the traditional revocable living trust is probably the way to go.
2: Maybe I'm, I'm looking at it the wrong way. I would like to make changes if changes need to be made. Okay. And then after yeah. I pass away I have no say so in what it's, what's going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: jesse if you if you want to retain basically functionally contr- retain control of what happens with the assets uh in virtually every case you need to keep that in a revocable trust there are there are certain more complex trust types that probably are not applicable here where that can be different but uh jesse what is this for estate planning purposes or or what's the what's the nature of the what you're trying to solve with this trust
2: um what it is i've had this uh revocable trust for around 25 years now. And it's been good to me, but I thought, well, if you don't pay taxes, that would save me a lot of, well, it would save my estate a lot of money.
0: Well, you know, Jesse, it sounds like what would be best in, in line for you is a good estate plan review and, and maybe even a financial plan if you don't have one. Um, but we certainly have some estate planning attorneys that we work with and know and trust and, and would be happy to pass on that information to you. Uh, and just get a, get a look at it relative to what you're trying to accomplish. It's kind of hard to... First off, we're not legal advisors, so we can't uh, personally advise you on your on your on uh, the legal aspect of your trust uh, from an investment standpoint. Um, you know, that, that certainly comes into your financial plan. So, you know, feel free to reach out to us through bobstockdale.com and uh, we're, we can you know, either connect you with an appropriate estate planning attorney or take a look at your situation from a financial planning standpoint because there's a lot of different options whenever it comes to how to defer taxation, optimize your portfolio uh, and your assets for passing to your heirs, uh, reg- regardless in some cases of the trust type. So uh, it, there's a lot of different directions we could go with there.
2: Oh, well, Abel, thank you a lot. Uh, You helped a lot with just what you said there.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks, Jesse. Good luck to you, Jesse. Thanks for the call. All right, we're going to move on and uh, talk about this article from TheGuardian.com. I thought it was really interesting, Eric, Uh, and uh, and we'll just jump right in here. So uh, the article starts like this. While accepting the Nobel Prize for Economics, Frederick Hayek made an astonishing admission uh, not only were economists unsure about their predictions he noted but their tendency to present their findings with the certainty of the language of science was misleading and may have deplorable effects now this is a nobel prize uh, economist uh, making the confession that uh, that their findings uh, that their certainty in their findings was uh, was misleading this revolution uh, revelation was made about 40 years ago and, uh, and it's a crucial one and has yet to have been largely uh, for- forgotten, I'm sorry, has been largely forgotten or ignored. Uh, one of the most striking comments before the EU referendum was for Michael Gove, he claimed that people in Britain had had enough of experts. This is since, uh, has since become something of a mantra, and polling does suggest that most people place little trust in expert predictions and pronouncements. So uh, so how does this apply to economic forecasting? Well, one of the problems uh, with economic forecasting is that a small change in a few variables can make predictions almost impossibly complex. Yeah, economics, Eric, I think is somewhat like the weather. Yeah. It's the complexity. I mean, near term, you, you get most of it right, I think. But the further out you go, the more variables that are introduced... Uh, and, and and the more things can have an effect on the forecast. Well, you know the,
0: the only the only I guess addition I'd make to that is in the very long term, very simple models tend to be pretty good. you know I mean, it's it takes a lot of the noise out of the situation, but that's the we're talking 30, 40, 50 years in terms of predicting long term economic growth trends. In the, the very short term, similarly, but that, you know, that medium term that goes past about a month from now and, you know, the yeah. next five years
1: you, when you might yeah. really that's, care what happens. And, and that's what everybody wants. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. They, they don't really care about 30 years, but they want to know yeah. in the next 12 months, what are we going to do here? Uh, here here's uh, in the, the writer of this article um, gave you and I gave you a way to understand how quickly the math can become complicated uh, when it comes to forecasting. Professor Sir Michael Berry tried to forecast the path of a pool ball after it was hit. Uh, guessing where the first ball would go was easy. The second impact became more complicated, uh, but still possible. The problem was that to correctly forecast the ninth impact, so you're, you know these balls are bouncing sure. around, just a pool table, right? Yeah. Uh, to to forca- correctly forecast the ninth impact, you would need to take account – of the gravitational pull of someone standing nearby. Now, that's a little difficult. Uh, to predict the 56th impact, you would need to include the effect of every single particle in the universe. Wow. That's, that's. Uh, I don't think we even have computers that can do that nowadays, actually. Every single particle in the universe. That's, yeah. That's a lot. So you can understand why forecasting is so difficult Uh, and why people get it wrong a lot. Now, they also talk about the fact that, you know, in in this world currently, we rate a lot of things, right? We rate restaurants on TripAdvisor. We uh, rate the effectiveness of hair straighteners on Amazon. uh, And it is curious, uh, the the author of the article says, and perhaps dangerous, that we fail to rate economists who provide us with the forecast on which world-changing decisions are made. Uh, Wouldn't it make sense to have a reliable measure for economists as we do any number of small consumer products? Uh, That way we could offer clues as to whether a forecast was reliable. Uh, They talk about this. Uh, Prakash Longani of of the IMF analyzed the accuracy of economic forecasters and found that something remarkable and worrying was happening. The record of failure to predict recessions was virtually unblemished, he said. This is, this is the scary part for anybody that's relying on forecasts to manage their portfolio. Uh, his analysis revealed that economists had failed to predict 148 of the past 150 recessions. That's almost a 100% failure rate, right? Part of the problem, he said, was that there wasn't much of a reputational gain to be had by predicting a recession others had missed. So, if you had disagreed with the consensus, you would be met with skepticism, and the downside of getting it wrong was more personally damage, damaging than the upside of getting it right. So, so the outcome, uh, you know, influenced what people were willing to forecast. Uh, the article goes on to say, not only have we been bad at forecasting, but there's not much of a sign, uh, not much sign of improvement. Mark Pearson, deputy director of Employment, Labor, and Social Affairs. At the OECD in Paris said, we're getting worse at making forecasts because the world is getting more complicated. Uh, and that makes sense. Uh, increased complexity is not the only prob- problem, though. <laughs> forecasts, and this is important to understand, are also made less trustworthy because of a feedback loop. Uh, if a meteorologist, for example, says it's going to rain, the fact that you take an umbrella out with you doesn't affect the weather but if an economist forecasts the inflation uh, that inflation will rise by 3% and we react by asking for at least a 3% rise in wages we have changed the basis on which the forecast was made and now inflation is likely to rise by more than 3% the fact that the forecast exists changes the reality it is trying to predict uh, so they in the Arctic, or are they in this portion of it like this? Which I, I think is good. Perhaps we need uh, what we need is an economist to say something like this. There is a one or two, uh, one in two chance that this will happen, but I can't be sure. In other words, they should embrace uncertainty and not be embarrassed by it. The problem is those economists do exist.
0: There's a lot of economists, great economists that really don't hang their hat on predictions. They they interpret the data, they suggest policy prescriptions. A lot of these people work at places like the Fed. Um, they just don't get on TV. Nobody well, wants to hear them because they're economists and they're about that exciting, too.
1: Yeah. And they're <laughs> and, you know, they're they're hedging things, which I mean not necessarily hedging, but they're just they understand that there's, there is error. There will be error in their forecast. They, yeah. they make their best assessment. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's important to understand that, that, look, there are any number of forecasts. We talk about this every year. Uh, at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, forecast for 2020. We're, we're getting into that season are, now yeah. where all the 2020 forecasts are coming out. Depending on which one you look at and like, uh, you're going to get all different types of readings. But there is danger for an economist to be an outlier, either overly positive or overly negative. There's career risk and reputational risk and all sorts of things. Exactly. Now, you have some of the perma uh, bears out there that, that continually forecast gloom and doom, and they've hung their hat on that. And, 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 and there's usually a
0: marketing model underpinning that there's usually a product on the other side of it mm-hmm. and yeah. same same thing oftentimes with perma bulls you know exactly you can sure. see the difference
1: here's how you take advantage of my forecast yeah. right exactly so you have to be careful with that i know this is kind of an esoteric article kind of deep in in the uh, in the mud here for uh, for thanksgiving weekend but hey we thought we'd throw that at you anyway all right when we come back we're going to talk about ira business and a couple things you need to know about iras uh, particularly if you take money out of your IRA and try to put it back within 60 days, we'll tell you what to watch out for. This is On the Money. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back. This is On the Money. I'm Bob Stockdale along with Eric Robert, and uh, we're talking about investment investment stuff, money stuff. Uh, if you'd like to join us today, 314 241 9797. love to hear from you or 866 45 9797. And uh, we can talk to you about your money stuff if you would like that. Uh, mentioned before the break, I want to talk about this article in Investment News uh, about watching out for the new year IRA rollover tax trap. Uh, this article has to do, and it's a really good explanation of, of different types of, of moving IRA funds in different ways. And, uh, and I want, so we'll cover that, and I want to go through it, and I think it's uh, important to know because you'll probably run into this at some point in your life. So here's the deal. Uh, here's here's uh, a rollover warning as we approach the new year. That's how the article starts. Ed Slott did it. Uh, only use direct trustee-to-trustee trustee transfers when moving IRA funds to another IRA. Uh, now, what he's talking about here, is, uh, is how you take money out and move money from one IRA to another. So let's go through it. The, the, uh, there is a rule uh, that called the 60-day rule. And, uh, and the, there is a rule about once-a-year rollovers, uh, and that applies to indirect rollovers, which are funds that are withdrawn personally to be redeposited to another or the same IRA within 60 days of when the funds are received. This is what you, you've you probably heard the 60-day rule or the 60-day rollover uh, mentioned before or seen it in the rules if you've ever looked into this. So what that means is you are withdrawing the, the, an indirect rollover. This is important to understand, is, uh, is where funds are withdrawn personally. They make the check out to you. You take possession of the money. Right? It's uh that's what withdrawn personally means. and, and just uh, a note, indirect rollovers are typically not what you want to do. As a general rule, that is what you want to avoid. That's right. Only if you're wanting to to now the sixty day rollover rule is used sometimes by people who need to take who, who want to borrow from their IRA mm-hmm. short term mm-hmm. and get the money back within sixty days. For example, you're buying a home, you're closing on another home a little bit later, you need the money for a short amount of time. So that's that would be an application of the 60-day rollover rule, why you would take possession of it yourself. So withdrawn personally means that a check is made out uh, to the IRA owner as opposed to being transferred directly to another a, uh, IRA with the IRA owner never touching the funds. In that case, the check would be made out to the new custodian as opposed to an individual, not you, uh, for the benefit of your IRA. The once a year rule never applies to direct transfers. So if you're doing a direct transfer, you can do it as many times as you want. Uh, It's the only foolproof way to move IRA funds. And as Eric mentioned, that's the way you want to do it most of the time. Uh, Under the rule, an indirect rollover from one IRA to another IRA, or the same with a Roth, a Roth IRA to another Roth IRA, can only be done one time per year. So that's the indirect where you're taking the funds can only be done one time a year. Here's what you need to know, though. When, when they say it can be done one time per year, they're not talking about the calendar year. They're talking about the fiscal year. In other words, uh, a rollover can only be done once every 365 days. So if you took one in October, you got the money back in by the end of November within the 60 days, and then you turned around in January, rolled around, and you're in a new year, and you take another one, then you have violated the rule. And as the article talks about, uh, some people who are not aware uh, that the period is is, – Fiscal year, not calendar year, think they get a fresh start on January 1st once a year is ended, allowing for, for another rollover, and that is not the case. And unfortunately, uh, when that happens, uh, there is no recourse and no way to get things fixed. It's a harshly rigid rule for which there is no fix. That's according again to the article. So this is something you need to be aware of. You know, this comes up relatively frequently, I guess. I mean, I see it occasionally, not often. Uh, but if you have an IRA account, this is just one of those rules, one of those things you, that you need to be aware of. And if you ever take the money out of it, you need to understand that getting it back in there uh, and what how the rules really work year to year uh, is incredibly per, uh, important. They also mention in the article the worst part is there is no relief available in the tax code uh, as there is for other retirement account mistakes, and the IRS has no authority to grant relief. So there you go. Make sure the check is made out to the financial institution and not made out to you. That's one good way to check on things. All right. I want to move on here. This caught my eye. Wealthmanagement.com had an article about the Treasury Department proposing changes to the rmd rules this is a big deal because i i don't think rmd i'm thinking back to to when i got in the business here which was 20 well 93 i don't i don't think rmd rules have changed in that entire time uh, rmds are based on on life expectancy and there's a universal life expectancy table that they use to calculate required minimum distributions once you turn 70 and a half According to this article, the Treasury has issued proposed regulations to update tables to use uh, used to determine the RMD, incorporating current mortality tables reflecting longer life expectancies. The proposed regs would extend the number of years for making distributions from qualified retirement plans, IRAs and annuities and certain other tax favored employer provided retirement arrangements, uh, the result lower. RMDs for all ages and a greater deferral of income taxes. Uh, that sounds really, really good, but it is not law yet. Uh, the proposed regs include specific examples. For example, uh, the first one in one, a 70-year-old IRA owner who uses the uniform lifetime table to calculate RMDs must use a life expectancy of 27.4. That's the number we that all advisors have Etched in our brains, when you turn your first one, uh, when you turn 70 is uh, 70 is 27.4. Uh, that's under existing regulations. The proposed regs would require the use of a life expectancy factor, I would call it, of 29.1 year years. You take that number and you divide your IRA money by that number, and that tells you how much you have to take out. For example, an account value of $250,000, the RMD would be $8,591 instead of $9,124 with, uh, with the current table. So that would be a reduction of about $533 or about 6%. So uh, so as I mentioned before, this is uh, it's out there. Treasury is recommending it. Uh, who knows if it will actually become law or not, uh, but we can certainly hope so. You know, I, I don't see anything about
0: this in the article. Maybe I missed it. Um, but it, it's kind of surprising to me that by now, or even with this rule change, they wouldn't index the life expectancy where these get updated, you know, annually or, or semi annually or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of things are indexed for, for whatever. I mean, it wouldn't be inflation; it'd be, yeah. it'd be indexing it for growth and life expectancy. Yeah, I, I mean, guess I, they, even every five years, you know,
0: where there was an update to it, would probably be more appropriate. But
1: yeah, I, I see it as as a tax cut, though, mm-hmm. and I see it unlikely to get yeah. through. I mean, that just there's not, generally not a whole lot of, speaking, not a whole lot of people in Congress who plant their flag
0: on saying people who have a lot of money in their IRAs we feel bad for them and want to give them another tax break. But, I, I you know, I don't know. It's your money. I, I I wish they would. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it would be nice. And, yeah. and it's not just retirees, but other people. You know, this applies to, to Absolutely. beneficiary IRAs, yeah. people that inherit money uh, in an IRA account. So it can have a big effect on, on a lot of people. But, uh, again, um, I'm always pulling for lower taxes, but not necessarily confident that that's going to, going to make. You know, we just covered two articles, Uh, one on
0: required minimum distributions and the other on indirect rollovers and some of the tricks and traps that are associated with that. And this is a regular theme that we discuss. Important to know this time of year, especially IRAs and retirement accounts generally have lots of strings attached (laughs) and you can very easily and very quickly make irreversible mistakes that can cost you a lot of money.
1: Yeah, they really do. They really it, an IRA account seems so simple. It's just you put money in, you take money out. It's taxed when you take it out, or if it's a Roth, it grows tax deferred, and you, you never pay taxes. Uh, but it's all the other stuff that goes on that can complicate things. Uh, and you're right. I mean, some things just like like the sixty day rule. You violate that, there's no recourse. I mean, you're you're, you're stuck with the consequences, which means you're, you. In all likelihood, we'll be paying taxes on the entire amount that you intended to borrow short term mm-hmm. and perhaps penalties if you're 59 and a half or younger. It's always heartbreaking when we have people come in
0: after they've been informed – That one of these things has happened, and there's usually nothing that can be done about it. Once once the trap is set, you're there. But uh, there's a lot that can be done to avoid that. And the biggest thing is just you know check with check with a good advisor first. Give us a call. You know, make sure you know before you start messing with the money in your IRA that uh, you you understand the tax consequences and and penalties
1: potentially. Absolutely, that's great advice, Eric. Let's end uh, this segment on that great advice. Let's take a quick break. When we come uh, back, we're going to talk about claiming Social Security benefits. This is on the money. Hey, we're back. This is on the money. Sorry for uh, sorry for the long break there. We're uh, we're back, and I want to talk about this article. Eric, you can help me here. Humble Dollar, one of the websites that we like to check in with occasionally, got some good stuff. Richard Quinn wrote this article, uh, and he talks about when you should claim Social Security now. You know, this is one of those topics that you could write books and pages and uh, do all kinds of analysis. Uh, the optimum starting date for starting retirement benefits is a subject of much debate and analysis. He says, uh, for most people, however, it is a simple matter of when they need cash, and indeed, many folks claim as soon as they're age sixty-two and eligible. Uh, the experts can run all the models we want, and by the way, that's. Something we do as part of every financial plan that we run is we look at, at uh, about every possible scenario you can imagine. Uh, and when it comes to Social Security, it seems, though, that necessity and emotion rule. You know, he's probably right for a lot of people, many, many people. They, they need it. They have to retire. They, uh, they have no choice. And, and that's understandable. Uh, one thing is clear, he says, though. There's no validity in taking your benefits as soon as possible and thereby ending up with a permanently lower monthly benefit simply because you believe Social Security won't be there for you. I agree. Totally agree. Congress has failed to heed warnings from the program's trustees for nearly 35 years. Not surprised by that. Uh, Still, Social Security isn't going anywhere. Take a look at the conclusion on page 5 of the latest annual report, even when its trust fund is depleted, Social Security will still be able to cover 77% of scheduled benefits. That's from ongoing receivable payments uh, you know, that they're taking in continually. Uh, so you know, he's right. Social Security isn't going anywhere, and 77% of benefits are, are likely to be covered. So one of the things that, that, Eric, that we do at Clear Path Wealth Management Group at Stiefel is, uh, is we urge people, if you can possibly do it, you should not claim at the earliest possible moment. Uh, according to the uh, administration, Social Security Administration's actuarial tables, at age 62, the life expectancy for a male is 21.6 years, At age 65, it's 17.9, and at 70, it's 14.4, and a female lives two to three years longer on average. So that those are good reasons why you may not want to take it right away. Uh, But many Americans, they also mentioned in the article, are going to beat those odds. The 85 and over population, 85 and over population projected to more than double from 6.4 million in 2016 to 14.6 million in 2040 that's according to the Department of Health and Human Services and remember once retired a stock market decline falling bond prices rising inflation those aren't your biggest problems right it's longevity it's living longer so social security is is a pretty good hedge against that Because remember, you you don't just collect your benefit. You also get a cost-of-living increase associated with that. Uh, They mentioned in the article that uh, that Social Security, of course, was intended as a safety net. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt's words from 1935, uh, he said that Social Security offers some measure of protection to the average citizen and to his family against the loss of a job and against poverty-ridden old age. Uh, However, today, Social Security... Uh, has become more than just a measure of protection for far too many Americans. It's their major source of income. Among elderly Social Security benefits, 48% of married couples rely on Social Security for 90% or more of their income. So claiming it, when to take it, waiting or not waiting, uh, is, uh, is a big deal. It's a huge decision that you need to think carefully about. Now, in the article, they mentioned that several years ago, Boston College's Center for Retirement Research published an interesting paper called Should You Buy an Annuity from Social Security? Now, here's what they're talking about. Social Security doesn't sell annuities, okay? What they're talking about is this. Uh, The analysis looked at using your savings to supplement income until age 70, thereby allowing your Social Security benefit to grow, with the cost of this annuity, not really an annuity, but they're, they're calling it that, uh, being the savings that you depleted. So that's the choice, right? You can, if you don't have enough income now uh, or you have assets and Social Security coming, you can, you can buy the deferral by depleting your assets, Uh, And uh, this makes sense, and the strategy may work for those with a healthy amount of savings, but given the data on retirees' reliance on uh, Social Security, uh, the sorry state of Americans' retirement savings is not necessarily practical for many people. So – you know, and that's unfortunate, but that's a decision that a lot of people are faced with, and that's something we help with in the analysis that we do. Well, and, and a lot of people,
0: it's funny because you talk to you, you talk to different folks, and, and everybody kind of has this gut-level bias on whether they want to draw early or think they should defer coming in, but the numbers don't always pan out according to expectations in the plan. Now, usually the, the core math of waiting and getting those deferred credits to the extent that you have retirement assets to float in the meantime is typically a good idea from a pure number standpoint. However, uh that doesn't solve for any of your personal circumstances. And what's cool is you can, you know, you can actually show in your financial plan if if I have to draw income from my retirement assets for this two or three years that I want to, correct to collect deferred credits, and you don't have to do the whole way to 70 in order to get some of them, what's the impact on the success of my plan? And by the way, that can and likely will change the way those assets are invested, at least during that period. Because if you know you have to rely on a higher level for income during those years, exactly. it's something to bear yeah. in mind.
1: If that's where your income is coming from, then, then it's going to be pretty conservatively invested. Um, yeah, so exactly. Um, you know, they mentioned in the article that, that uh, arguably we look at delaying Social Security benefits the wrong way. Uh, it's not that we add benefits by waiting. Rather, it's that we lose less. In other words, we should think of full retirement age as 70. And if you claim earlier, how large of a cut will you suffer?
0: And isn't that I mean, when you think of how much life expectancies have grown over, you know, especially since Social Security originated, but even since the uh, mid to late 80s, the last time there was meaningful, substantial Social Security reform, you know, the the full retirement age functionally from a health standpoint is a lot closer to 70. Maybe it's not 70 on the head, but in terms of how long people are expected to live afterwards.
1: Maybe where it ends up someday. You never know. Yeah, exactly. It'll be Seventy-five by the yeah, time I get there. Yeah, and in general, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> uh, g- generally speaking, you know, what, one of the things we look at when we do the analysis, there, there, this is one of those questions for which there is no absolute clear answer. There are a lot of variables. Nobody knows how long they're going to live. That's a big part of it, right mm-hmm. there. But the other thing we look at is liquidity in investment, yeah. or I'm, I'm sorry, in retirement. And and what we're, what I mean by that is you don't want to deplete your entire portfolio buying credits for Social Security. Uh, we want to make sure you've got money available for things that might come up, uh, a, a lump sum of money that you can tap into if you need to. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's another factor. Uh, but everybody's situation is different, and uh, and that's where you, where we can help you as advisors is work through all the different scenarios, show you this. Uh, situation, this situation, and help you make a decision from there. And to be clear, there's no such thing as a bad answer
0: when it comes to claiming your social security based on what your circumstances are there are valid circumstances where people need to claim early you know there maybe you have health issues or or sometimes unfortunately it's just the way life works because of uh, to, to manage your cash flow over that time um but at least having the guidance of an advisor in that process so you know you're you're making a reasonable decision as opposed to just an emotional driven one
1: that's that's important yeah. and I think the article does a great job of, of saying that basically that that you know some people you have no choice this is your option this is what you have this is your income uh, you have to claim it but don't use the the excuse that you don't think benefits are going to be there for you because I I just don't think think that's valid I mean you know read the social security report I and the other the other thing that you need to understand I think about social Security my own personal prediction here is that when it becomes a crisis and people start getting reduced checks, it'll be fixed. Uh, that's how it relatively works relatively quickly. That's, <laughs> that's how it works in Washington. So, uh, so that's how I think things are going to happen. All right, how much time, Eric? Uh, you got about one more minute. One more minute. Wow. Okay. So I was going to talk about uh, about the stress uh, that holiday gifting uh, brings and spending. It Uh, does? (laughs) Is this a stressful time of year? Uh, Six out of 10 people told Bankrate they feel pressure to overspend either on presents, travel, social outings, or charitable donations this season. So listen, folks, don't stress about these things. Have a plan. Have a budget. Know what you're going to spend going in. Don't go over it. Don't get yourself behind the eight ball when it comes to holiday spending and end up paying for all that in 2020. It just doesn't make good fiscal sense Uh, be smarter than that. You can do it.